0: This morning, I want you to think back to a time in your life when maybe you thought your life might have been in maybe some pretty serious danger. And so the the example that comes to my mind is driving back to college up in Minnesota um, one year after spring break. And if you know anything about Minnesota, spring is like one week in May, Um, So driving back from spring break, I managed to drive into this huge blizzard, and all I could see in front of me was white. And I actually slid down into the ditch two different times, and thankfully was able to get out of the ditch, get back on the road. But for the last 20 or so miles back to school, could not see a thing. And I'm sure that I left finger marks in the steering wheel as I was just praying over and over and over. God, please get me there safe. Now, apparently we all made it out of whatever our dangerous situation was. But I'm curious, after you knew that you were safe, what was the very first thing that you did? Let's talk a bit about Noah this morning. We, we just went through his story with the kids a little bit, and people say that Noah's Ark is the number one most well-known Bible story, and I think part of the reason for that is because we kind of like to make it into this cute and cuddly story a little bit, and maybe I even did that with the kids a little bit this morning, but, you know, there's all these animals, and there's this really big boat, and yeah, the flood comes, but... Everybody gets inside the boat, and they stay safe and sound and warm and dry. But I don't really think it was like that for Noah. God had told Noah decades in advance that he was going to send this flood, and it was going to destroy the world because the world was so evil. In fact, experts think that it took Noah between 50 and 70 years to build the ark. Now, do you think in those 50 to 70 years that Noah kept that information from God all to himself? I think he told everybody that he knew. And they had to know that Noah was serious because there was this giant boat that he was building that said so. People needed to turn back to God because of what was about to happen. And don't you think word would probably spread about what Noah was doing too? the guy? Probably they thought he was a crazy guy building this giant boat and why he kept telling people he needed to do it. And yet all those years passed, 50 to 70 years passed, and nobody else turned back to God. And so the flood came just as God had said that it would. And Noah is safe and sound and warm and dry inside of his ark. But as he looks out the window of that boat, all he can see is water. But underneath that water is his home and every place and everything that he loved about God's creation and everyone that he knew who wasn't his immediate family. Can you imagine Noah's heartbreak? It's not such a, such a cute story anymore, is it? Noah and his family were inside of the ark for a year. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but they were inside of the ark for a full calendar year. During that year, how many thousands of prayers do you think Noah prayed? God, please keep us safe. God, please don't forget about us. Well, after that year had passed, God kept his promises to Noah and his family. And that's where we pick up the story today in Genesis chapter 8. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And this is God's word. Prayers answered, right? Noah and his family walked out of the ark and into a world that probably looked nothing like the world that they knew. And can you imagine their to-do list? They literally had to rebuild their whole lives from the ground up. They had to rediscover places to live and rebuild homes and replant fields. I mean, where do you even start? But Noah started by praising God. That was his top priority. Noah was grateful. And maybe we think, really? After what sounds like the worst year of his life, Noah was grateful. But clearly, that is not the way that Noah saw this situation. Noah was a very old man by this point. He had lived a very long life. He had watched the world that he lived in rebel against God. And he had watched them ignore God's warnings that the flood was coming. Noah knew that the world he lived in was sinful. But just like you and me, Noah knew that he was sinful too. He deserved to be washed away with everyone else in that flood. And yet, God's grace to Noah and his family, God's undeserved love for sinners, had brought Noah and his family safely through the flood just as God had promised that he would. And so it was that grace that made Noah overflow with gratitude. And so we see Noah's reaction as he gets off of the ark. He is grateful. So why do you think it is that so many people who hear Noah's story are spiteful? My fiancé, Emily, is a preschool teacher, and a few weeks ago, she was teaching her preschoolers the story of Noah's Ark. And they had some questions. They said, well, God destroyed the whole world with a flood. Why did he do that? When Emily explained that it's because the world was full of sinful people who didn't believe in God. Well, the preschoolers asked a fair question, didn't they? That's a question that a lot of people ask. That's a question that makes a lot of people pretty angry with God. God, that is so unfair. How could you do that? But I want us to think about this this morning. Is it really unfair? We know that God knows all things. And we know that he is a loving God. Is it really so unfair to the human race that God essentially started over and made it so that everyone who was alive on earth at the time was a believer? Because after all, if we truly believe that God is perfectly loving and perfectly wise, and we do believe that, that's what the Bible tells us, that's what God shows us in his word, then don't you think that maybe, just maybe, we should assume that there will be more people in heaven because the flood happened? than if God had just let the world continue on as it was. Now another question that the preschoolers asked was, "Well, sometimes I sin. Does that mean that God's going to destroy me too? And I promise I'm not making that up. They, they asked really good questions. <laughs> but again, that's not just a question that preschoolers asked. That's a question that we ask too. There has to be some punishment that's coming for my sin, right? There has to be something that will happen as a result of me breaking God's law. And yet, God answers our question. God answers our question and he says, never again, never again will he destroy the whole world as he did in the flood, God says. Now, understand what God is not saying here. He's not saying that there will never be terrible natural disasters, even terrible floods like we see from Hurricane Ian. In fact, the Bible tells us that natural disasters like this will always happen, and they're a reminder that this world that we live in is temporary. But God's promise to Noah was that he would never again destroy the whole world as he did in the flood, because of the world's sin. And he says that he says never again, even though the human heart is sinful from childhood. And now that's kind of a that's kind of a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Sinful from childhood, really. And there are some Christians that will even choose to not believe that that's true. And yet the Bible teaches us that. That sin is a dominant trait that is passed down from parents to children 100% of the time. Surely I was sinful from birth, the Bible says. Sinful even from the time that I was conceived. By our very nature, we want to rebel against God. We want to disobey the things that God tells us are best for our lives. And by the time of Noah... The world had followed its own desires to such a point that it had essentially turned its back on God entirely. Noah knew that the world had gotten what it deserved in the flood. But he had gotten something different. He had gotten God's grace instead. And so God promised Noah that as long as the world endures, there will be this pattern. God will never interrupt the pattern of this world again. There will be days and nights and months and years and seasons and sin. There is always going to be sin in this world. And God knew that. And if God sent a flood on the earth every time that our sin deserved one, we wouldn't be sitting here. And Noah realized that. Noah realized that he did not deserve to step off of the ark. But he did. And so the first thing that Noah did after stepping off of the ark was he made an offering to God, a burnt offering. And this was one of the ways that believers who lived before the time of Jesus would worship God, right? They would sacrifice an animal, and then they would burn the animal up entirely. And that sacrifice symbolized complete dedication to God. Now, I don't know if you thought about it, but there weren't a whole lot of animals in the world at this point. All they had were the ones that came off of the ark with them. So Noah's sacrifice was extremely valuable. I'd even go so far as to say it was the second most valuable sacrifice ever made second only to the one that God would make a few thousand years later. When God sent the flood on the earth, that was God dealing with sin through his justice. But by sacrificing Jesus for us on the cross, that was God dealing with sin through his grace. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice of infinite value that paid for the sins of the whole world. His death was that sacrifice that paid for the sins of the whole world. And he rose from the dead to show us and to tell us that his death, his sacrifice, paid for your sins and mine. And God didn't sacrifice one of only a few animals. He sacrificed his one and only son. And so now because of that sacrifice, God's word to us today, well, it's very similar to what it was to the people of Noah's day, right? All who believe in God's promises will be saved. And then God opens up the floodgates of his blessings to you through faith. And one of those blessings that God gives to us is the blessing of baptism. And the Bible actually draws a connection between the waters of the flood and the waters of baptism, as crazy as that might sound. And so it says this, in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In baptism, you receive the value and the benefit of Jesus' sacrifice. You are saved. Your victory is his victory. And baptism connects you to that victory. The Bible says that all who believe and are baptized will be saved. And so we say, God, how can we ever thank you for these amazing blessings. Noah thanked God for his blessings with the sacrifice. For us today, the Bible says, "Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God." So what does that mean? Well, it means we live for God. It means we live our lives in a way that that thanks him for his grace to us. We we put God first in our lives. We obey his commandments. We treat other people as we would want to be treated. And that's how we show our gratitude to God. Now, wouldn't you agree that when you're grateful for something, you want your thank you to really reflect exactly how grateful you are? And so, let's say you're driving down the road and you're a mile from the gas station and you run out of gas. And for the purpose of the story, let's say you have no cell service or you left it at home or something. But you're stranded there on the side of the road, and somebody stops and gives you a ride to the gas station. You might say, hey, thanks. Here's 10 bucks for your trouble. Right? That would be an appropriate thank you. But let's say you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you maybe think it's the second second coming of the flood after all it starts pouring rain you can't see a thing and suddenly your car is swept off of the road rolls into the ditch you're knocked unconscious your car is upside down in the ditch and it is filling up with water and you're left there to die until someone stops and breaks a window and pulls you out and rushes you to the hospital. And you wake up, and the nurse tells you everything that happened. Do you track down the person that saved your life just to say, hey, thanks, here's 10 bucks? Of course not, right? Of course not. That wouldn't even be close to an appropriate thank you you'd say i have no idea how i could ever repay you for what you did if there's anything that i can ever do to show you my thanks please let me know well god saved us from a much worse situation than being left for dead in a ditch a spiritual or a sinful person excuse me is spiritually dead already the bible says Spiritual death is a lot scarier than physical death. And yet, Jesus brought us back to life. And so we say, God, how can we ever thank you for that blessing that you, that you brought us back to life through the sacrifice of your Son? And God says, Put me first, live for me, give me your best. That's one reason why here at Light of the Valleys we're, we're launching this, this theme for our ministry going forward with the, the, the letters EST, right? That, that EST stands for the establishment phase of our congregation as we pray for God to, to bless that phase of our church. But it also is that superlative ending that you put on to words, right? That that if you describe something in, in the greatest possible sense, it's, it's EST at the end of the word. And so we want... We don't want God to be a big part of our life. We want him to be the biggest part of our life. We don't just want to be happy. We want to be the happiest people to share with others the message of Jesus and what he's done for us. We want to be the strongest that we can possibly be in our faith. We want to give God the best in our ministry as a church, but in our lives of faith as believers. We want to treat people as best we can in the way that we live, in the way we talk, we want to put God first, study his word. Because God treated us in a way that we did not deserve. He saved us by his grace. And so we want to live lives that are, that are overflowing with gratitude to God. And so that's our prayer today. That God increase our faith that he help us to be grateful for how great he is. Amen.